The funeral industry looks set to boom. About 30,000 New Zealanders die every year, and over the next four decades, as the population ages and Auckland grows at a rapid rate, that number will double. This RNZ Insight programme goes behind the scenes of the industry to find out how it's preparing for a huge number of customers with increasingly different needs. census, less than half of New Zealanders who consider themselves religious identified as Christian. So when it comes to saying goodbye for the last time, people are increasingly also saying goodbye to the traditional church service. And now, with more than 40% of people reporting they're not religious at all, funeral directors are finding when it comes to a person's last hurrah, anything's on the table. Baby boomers are wanting to take control of their end of life. The traditional cookie-cutter funeral is well on the decline. I'm Teresa Cowie, and this insight asks what will the funeral industry look like in the coming decades, and is it prepared for a boom? At the moment, the funeral industry is worth about $200 million dollars. The Funeral Directors Association of New Zealand estimates that over the next 30 years that will grow to nearly $400 million. Well, the funeral industry has opened its doors to the public for the first time. and as One indication that it's starting to get its ducks in a row is that the association held its first ever trade show in September this year. There's haberdashery, jewellery and makeup kits. But this and is a flashy affair it looked to be. From blingy coffins painted with designs and murals of your choosing to new airbrushing tools that can apply makeup to the deceased in a more natural looking way. The former national MP Katrina Shanks is now the chief executive of the Funeral Association and she says when it comes to life celebrations, funerals are the new weddings. Traditionally weddings used to be all in churches, as did funerals. Now weddings can be on the beach, they can be in your backyard, as a funeral can be. So it's important that we understand the needs and listen to the needs of the families. And families need to know that they can ask for something that is a little bit different. It's okay to do that. And it's important that you remember the person that has passed away in the way you think they should be remembered, not the way you think it fits into a box. She says funerals today can cost anywhere from a couple of thousand dollars to forty thousand dollars. The average funeral is estimated to be about $12,000. But while a dream wedding might be organised over many months or even years, a funeral's more likely to be put together in a few days, and often when a family's shocked and emotional about losing a loved one. So how do you get people talking about what they'd like for their big send-off before the time comes? Danny Langstrat is a director of Harbour City Funeral Homes in Wellington, which has come up with many novel ways to demystify the funeral process and get the conversation started. You know, our company was one of the first companies to do open homes, and so we invited the public through to a funeral home and the crematorium and the mortuary to obvious points of interest for, for the community. You know, we're open, and we were quite frank about the discussions uh, and the questions that were asked in and around embalming and all cremation. And it's also a handy way to market their business, which specialises in bespoke funerals. 
The funeral home says its point of difference is doing what it can to carry out the wishes of a family, whether it be a natural burial or something more unusual, like when one family asked for the coffin of a crane operator to be lowered into his grave with a crane. Danny Langstrat says another big consideration for his firm is learning about the various cultural and religious funeral rituals for people who've moved to New Zealand from abroad. He says if a funeral director is experienced, they can meet the needs of any community. They intuitively will have learnt what the communities need and what those new faiths need. But a hallmark of a good funeral director is to ask the question and never to assume. Because even within the same community, even within the same faith expression, there will be differences because auntie said so or because grandma said so. And it's pertinent to that family or to that sect or to that part of where they've come from. And then there is in-house training, and this is what happens. If I deal with a, a new situation, you know, there will be a debriefing here. It says, all right, OK, if this community contacts us, these are the things that you know, I've learned and they're important to them. Uh, but again, the funeral director will ask. So you, we will not assume. And there are also specialist funeral homes for many cultures, including Māori, Pacific Island and Asian. Traditional Chinese funerals... Um, the family would burn the incense and they would do some food offerings and also they would purchase some uh, fake paper money um, and burn them. Karina Zong is a funeral director and co-owner of Pacific Funerals and Memorials in Auckland, which specialises in Asian funerals, particularly Chinese. I believe the Chinese population would increase over the coming years. So um, as a funeral home specialised in Chinese funerals, we need to prepare ourselves with increasing demand and also higher expectation of the professional service. So how is your funeral home preparing itself for this future business and expansion? To enable us to meet the requirements, we are putting our stuff through the training courses. We are trying to, to find a new premise and uh, employ more staff. So your business is growing already? Yes, we are growing, yes. We are based in Auckland. We already have multiple locations and we are uh, targeting some of the new areas such as North Shore. At the moment, we are located in South Auckland and West Auckland where the older migrants are based. But um, North Shore uh, has been very popular uh, with the new migrants. So that is an area we are... Uh, trying to focus on for the future. Karina Zong says the average spend on a Chinese funeral is about $3,000, much less than the $12,000 national average. She says most first-generation Chinese have smaller families and few friends after moving to New Zealand and opt for a simple but dignified service. They also usually prefer cremation to burial because it's so much cheaper. Asian communities now make up about 12% of our population and the demand for services with an understanding of Chinese funeral rituals are particularly in demand. Generally, there are more people wanting to work in the industry than there are positions available. But Karina Zong says she struggles to find staff who understand Chinese funeral rituals. In many Asian cultures, dealing with death is a taboo. That's why we are finding it difficult to find enough funeral directors to meet the demand. 
But it's not just population trends funeral businesses are having to consider when it comes to the final farewell. We're in our chapel. This often is used for funeral services. As you can see, we've got the, the TV screens. Obviously, In recent years, some funeral goers will have noticed they've gone digital, with fancy so order of service sheets, photo slideshows and people filming the service or guests being beamed in from overseas locations to deliver eulogies. Most funeral directors thought they were pretty good at creating a little hymn sheet or on the, using Word or Publisher or inserting a photo. You know, we thought we were pretty clever and until you sit down with somebody who's a graphic designer and they show you what they can do, you leave it to the experts. And, and certainly from our company, you know, we decided to invest in that as something that we can see as a trend. Uh, so we have a graphic designer, we have our own printing suite, uh, and we have you know, top quality product. And that's the point of difference that we choose as a company to have. Um, and that may be the difference between, I guess, a purchase decision from a client family. He says in order to keep up with the times, some funeral homes hire in-house or freelance camera operators, editors and audiovisual engineers to deal with the technical production of a service. And while some areas of the funeral business are charging into the digital age, others are finding there's a market for going back to nature. We've done a couple of surveys over the years and they all come out showing around a third of the population would probably or definitely use a natural burial uh, or cemetery if it was available. And what do they understand about a natural burial? What do they perceive it to be? The proposition we put to them was a burial in a shallow grave, unembalmed, simple casket with a tree above you that turned into a bush over time. And it was people right of all there. ages who you surveyed? Yes, uh, it was. And um, we didn't find any difference between age groups, their socioeconomic status, none of that. So it's a uniform across the, across the population. Mark Blackham from Wellington founded natural burials when he and his wife's first child died at birth and they realised this type of burial was not an option. The country's first natural cemetery, it's a not-for-profit, run in conjunction with the local city council. We're in the Macro Valley, just south of Wellington, um, at the, uh, a site which is part of the wider Wellington Cemetery, Wellington Macro Cemetery. Um, and we're walking down the trail, which is taking us to the natural cemetery, which is sort of it's within the precinct, within the, the wider cemetery precinct. And it certainly is natural, it's not a tarmacked road and it's covered in sheep dung. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah, that's natural comes in all forms. The, uh, the sheep are graze here. Um, we've moved them out though because uh, we're going to expand into this area we're just walking through now. And when did the cemetery open? 2007 is when we started. The organisation itself had been advocating for cemeteries since uh, 1999. Um, but it had been a long and hard road to, to get to this first cemetery. What was the delay? What was the hold-up? The major problem for councils was that they regarded cemeteries as sinks for money. They're extremely costly and they weren't charging the, the amount, or don't still don't charge the amount of money they thought was necessary to really cover the costs, the long-term costs. But if you think natural automatically means a cheap burial plot, think again. At $2,800, they cost a couple of hundred more than a standard plot.
but on the plus side, not having to pay for a headstone or embalming can save on the overall funeral costs. And in the long run, natural burial sites could be cheaper for councils and ratepayers because there are no headstones to keep clean, paths to sweep or lawns to mow in what will eventually be bush. But anyone wanting to be buried there will have to buy into the idea that it's not a permanently identifiable resting place for their remains, but the beginning of a forest. As you can see from uh, the plots in front of you now, there's uh, trees over the top of them. We're just going to let those trees grow and do their thing. Each of these graves, though, is marked out with a small wooden plaque with people's name and um, date of birth and, and death on them. <clears throat> do they stay there forever so that people know where the the person has been buried? Mm. Well, the markers themselves aren't going to stay forever. They've probably got 10, 15 years, maybe a little bit longer than that. But we have the whole area plotted out on a map. So, you know, we'll, we'll know where everybody is. That, of course, uh, that we'll know actually where everybody was um, buried because uh, in 20, 30, 50, 100 years, they're not going to be there any longer. It's a little bit hard for people to get their heads around, but... Um, yeah, there's no need to mark a plot in some ways that people aren't going to be actually be in. Do you mean because the remains will have the remains, completely decayed? The remains will have completely decayed, been taken up by the trees, the organisms and the soil. The environment will be recycling you. Natural burial in untreated timber coffins with rope handles and no embalming means less money for traditional funeral homes. So how have traditional funeral directors reacted to this venture? Well, there was a tension between us and the funeral industry in the past, mainly because they feared that we were trying to undercut what they do. But we're not even a business. We just want a piece of land where people can be buried. Quite happy for funeral directors to do that burying. And as it turns out, and not surprisingly, funeral directors are doing all of the burials, almost all of them. So no, there's no tension there now between us and those who realise that this is something that the public want to do. There's a couple who, who just don't offer the service, who aren't prepared to be certified by us, and they want to carry on the way they're doing things. That's fine. That's meeting the market. And as the industry prepares itself to make the most of the increasing business coming its way from the ageing population, the Law Commission is taking a look at the laws that govern burial, cremation and how funeral businesses should operate. As it stands, anyone can set themselves up as a funeral director or embalmer without having any formal qualification or affiliation with a professional association. The Commission's review of burial and cremation law is looking at whether businesses should have to make it public on their website or marketing materials if their funeral directors, embalmers and crematorium operators are qualified. For those squeamish about funerals and death in general, it may be a surprise that there are actually many more people wanting to get into the industry than there are jobs, and companies are very careful to make sure that those who do make it in are right for the job. Can we put them all up here? And I'll mark them. In fact, entry requirements to get into industry courses like this embalming one at Welltech in Wellington have been tightened in recent years. Welltech is the only institution in the country that offers a qualification in funeral directing or embalming. And these days, if you want to get into the course, you have to be over the age of 20 and have already worked in a funeral home for a minimum of one year. You also have to be committed to working 24-7. Jacqueline Cox is a funeral director and embalmer at Vosper's Funeral Home in New Plymouth. She's been working there for two years and is down in the capital to do the six-week practical component of her embalming qualification. 
She explains why she wanted to move into the industry. I feel like you can make a difference at a time in someone's life when um, their whole world is falling apart. And having experienced quite a bit of death in my own family, um, I realise the importance of it being done right and the fact that you only get one chance at it and if it's not done right, then you have to live with that. In this class, she and other students are working on models to practice getting a dead person ready for a viewing by their loved ones. They've learned to mould realistic-looking ears out of plasticine that might be added to a body that's been injured in an accident. The next step is learning to make natural-looking facial hair. So we're actually doing hair restoration and um, at the moment we're just trying to make some eyelashes. So I guess the reason why we're doing this is that it's really important for families to have the best viewing picture that we can get for them, the best memory picture, because that is the last memory of the of their deceased that they'll see. So if we can do something like this to make it a more comforting viewing, then we'd certainly do this. And you don't have to do this qualification, you can work without it. So yeah. what made you decide to do this? Well, I think um, a lot of people just assume that whoever's caring for their loved one is a qualified embalmer. And um, I think they'd be probably shocked to know that there's only probably 200-odd qualified embalmers in the whole of New Zealand. So we can work as embalmers unqualified. Um, obviously, um, for me, it was really important to get qualified. What we've learnt on the course is incredible. It's uh, very much an evolving learning. Like It's like anything. I think when you think that you've learnt it all, then you've got a problem because that's when you need to be learning. On the table here, we've just got a range of things that we get students to practice with. We've got the mannequin heads that we do cosmetics on. We use for hair restoration. Mm-hmm. And we practice some waxing. We've got a selection of waxes that we use. Obviously, we've got cosmetics that are industry-based and brush seats that they practice for cosmetics with. Pierre Erasmus teaches the embalming and funeral directing courses at Welltech. In the future, with public expectations and with growth of population, I think it's going to be more important for us to be qualified. As the industry grows, you think you need to make sure it's professionalised? Definitely. I mean, in the scale of New Zealand, there's only a small industry. Um, I've heard numbers thrown around about 120-odd funeral homes, which would equate to about 900-odd staff, not all of them embalmers and funeral directors. Some of them are both. So it's a small industry, but we play a role in everyday New Zealanders' lives, and I think qualifications are really important. So you think everyone should be registered, not just one person per company? Um, I can't comment on that. That's the industry that needs to decide that. I believe that at least the embalmers should be all registered. I think that's really important. I think funeral directors, yes and no, but for the embalming side, definitely. The Law Commission says the New Zealand Embalmers Association has repeatedly called for mandatory qualification of embalmers, but at this stage, a reform isn't justified. The Commission is concerned the cost of trying to enforce qualifications on the funeral workforce would outweigh the benefits. Katrina Shanks from the Funeral Directors Association doesn't think all funeral directors and embalmers need a qualification to keep standards high. 
What we would like to see is that every funeral home has to have a qualified funeral director in it, and that could be a way that we can, as an industry, be registered based on a qualification. And that way you'll know when you go to a funeral home that there is someone who has got a formal qualification or has been supervised by somebody with a formal qualification that's looking after someone that you love. Katrina Shank says as it stands, more than 80% of funerals are provided by funeral homes that have a qualified employee. But the Law Commission says a survey done by local councils revealed a small but increasing number of inquiries about burial or cremation without the involvement of a funeral director. And there is anecdotal evidence that interest in full DIY funerals, where families are more involved in a substantial part of the organisation and caring for the body, are on the rise. Supporters of family-led funerals are worried that a focus on qualifications or any increase in regulation could put this freedom under threat. Philip Tomlinson from Temaru has written a book on DIY funerals in New Zealand and often gives seminars where a hundred or so people show up to find out how it's done. He's helped his own family and others to arrange DIY funerals and is making it his mission to bring the idea into the mainstream. So what sort of people are interested in DIY? There are probably two groups. Those who don't like the tremendous uh, price ticket on a commercial funeral and those who see a distinct uh, virtue in being able to handle grief themselves and adjust to that uh, loss by a hands-on experience organising and running a funeral. Do you think, looking at um, how many people are coming along to your seminars and the fact that there is more discussion around this topic, do you think that there are more people doing DIY funerals? I think what's happening in New Zealand is that the tide is on the point of turn. In the United Kingdom, the tide has turned. People have had a distinct move away from the veneration of the funeral director and the absolute control and are starting to move themselves. In New Zealand... Probably this book that I have written has been a lever that has begun to turn the tide and people are now thinking, do we really need to have this huge price ticket around our necks? Philip Tomlinson says there's one major stumbling block that often stops people who are otherwise keen on doing it themselves. The biggest challenge I think we have is that unless they have a coffin that they can get their hands on quickly, people get shaken up by the absence of that necessity. And so therefore, that one thing is probably the biggest impediment to running a DIY funeral. An advocate for family-led funerals, Gail McJoro, has a plan to make that happen. My dream is for a nationwide retail chain to, to stock coffins in the USA. They're in Walmart and Costco, and they're just another item. That will happen here. That will happen in the next five years. You're all about what the future of the funeral industry would be, so I thought I'd bring you here to one of New Zealand's oldest cemeteries, the Bolton Street Cemetery. It's as old as New Zealand itself, uh, established in 1840. Now... While we're here amongst this beautiful setting, I'd like you to just show me through what this box of tricks is here that you've got, which you think sort of represents the future of our funerals. Firstly, I have here the 
bio-urn and it comes with some peat and soil and you simply put the ashes in the container with the soil and bury it and a tree grows. And we have here some jewellery. Now cremation jewellery is quite, um, it's not that well known in New Zealand. Um, I wear my brother's ashes around my neck so this is a lady in Picton makes this. It's hand-blown glass. And, and Gail McJorrow says DIY isn't for everyone, but she does believe in choice and the idea that family and community should take on about 80% of the work, leaving the remaining 20% to the funeral professionals. She wants people to have the opportunity of a better, less expensive send-off that doesn't leave their loved ones with a huge debt. This is our funeral home, Waitakere Funeral Services, Tipinetangihanga. This is the what we call the whānau area. Auckland Funeral Director Francis Tipene is also concerned about funeral debt. This here is one of the most special rooms in the funeral home. This is the dressing room. There's makeup there, hair products, smellings, hair straighteners, all that sort of thing to really um, get, get your loved one looking fantastic. Mr Tipene, who is affiliated with Te Arawa and specialises in tangi, says funeral costs are placing a huge burden on Fano. There's the marae, there's food, there's petrol, and, you know, it soon tends to add up, including the funeral director's account. You're looking at around about $8,000. While Māori are not part of the ageing population, a lot more are now living in Auckland, where funeral and burial costs are high. And Francis Tipani wants Iwi to step up and help Fano out. Whatever capacity, be it financially, be it releasing the marae free for tangihanga, these are just my opinions, you know, uh, or giving grants to the families. And I understand, you know, speaking with some of the iwi leaders, they don't want to be the handout service, and I understand that too. But there, there are things you can do to work it out, maybe for every dollar they put in, you match it or, or give, you know, something to have to that incentive to help families start saving and thinking about tangihanga. So it is an expensive journey. It's Māori tradition to be buried rather than be cremated, which can bump up the cost of a funeral by thousands of dollars. He says in Auckland, Fano have to pay about four to five thousand dollars for a plot, including having the hole dug by the council. Even a plot in the council-funded Urupa or Māori section of his local cemetery in West Auckland is only $1,000 cheaper than that, and he thinks while some iwi do provide plots on their own land, they could be doing more. Gail McJorrow says a better approach would be to get families and community more involved in running the tangi and finding more money to cover the cost. I often see that as a thing that the Funeral Directors Association push the government for more money. At the moment you can get a WINS grant for about $2,000 if you can prove that you have no assets and you can't afford to bury your loved one. A funeral, through a funeral home, on average costs, a basic funeral will cost you, nine, a traditional cookie cutter funeral, about $9,000. And that, that's basic and it's normally around twelve to 15000 but we know when you have the community involved that you can do them for in the hundreds. If you build your own coffin and people bring food and bring their flowers and you can use your, your ute or a van and pick mum or dad up from the rest home. You don't have to be buried in a coffin. You can be buried in a sheet that everyone's written on or a quilt that, that the kids have made. So 
a coffin doesn't even have to be used. You know, so more money is not the answer. I'm Teresa Cowie, and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to share your thoughts on this programme, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz. Our Twitter handle is rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Philippa Tolley with technical production from William Saunders.